0: Good morning church family. I do want to take a minute to start our services this morning. Uh if you have served in the military or our armed forces in honor of Veterans Day, we'd like for you to stand. We want to recognize you specifically. So, if you'd stand, if you if you've served your country in the military or armed forces, we honor you, we celebrate you, we thank you for your service. And we do not take that sacrifice lightly. I'm continuing a sermon series that we're we're going to be preaching through the holiday season uh called Grateful for Grace. And this morning I'm going to be teaching about the God of Grace. If you got your Bible handy, you can turn to the Gospel of John, I'm in the first chapter starting in the 14th verse. Now when we think of grace in our culture, usually we're thinking of a graceful um uh flawlessly moving um very elegant on on their feet type of an individual, uh, which is exactly the opposite of me. All right. So I know about that kind of grace simply because I'm almost as uh far opposite that kind of grace as an individual can be. Let me tell you a quick story as we're getting started here. I had the opportunity to speak at a church in Memphis a couple of weekends ago. Uh and I usually teach from an iPad. And you can see that I've got my Bible this morning, my mentor Mike Kellett's been trying to actually get me to preach from God's holy word for years and years and years. So I have my Bible here this morning and I was at a church in Memphis, had my iPad, got to speak to these great guys, was really fired up, put my uh, iPad on top of my truck, hop in the truck, the spirit was on me and I just, the opposite of grace, right? I just pulled right out of there, get to a, get to the place I'm saying, and I realize I cannot find my iPad anywhere. So I do what any reasonable human being would do, looking for an iPad or tablet. I start retracing my steps. I end up back at the church at night in the rain, and I uh, did find my iPhone, and, and I can locate my iPad, and I can make it play a sound. Now, come on. Some of y'all are like me, and you've lost your phone, and you got to play a sound on your phone. Let me see a show of hands. How many of y'all out there? Yep. So I'm playing the sound, and my iPad is crushed into a thousand pieces on the side of the road, but for some reason it could still play a sound. And I thought at that moment, I need, to get, I need to get more aware of how to be graceful. I need to get more aware of how to be graceful. That's the premise of the sermon this morning. I want you to be more aware of the God of grace that saved you. And in, in the Gospel of John, in, in the first chapter, we learn that grace is less about a word And more about a person. Grace theologically means the unmerited free favor of God. And when I think about grace, I think about God's loving affection towards me. And regardless of what I do, there's nothing that can remove me from the umbrella of his overshadowing free grace. But in the Gospel of John, we, we learn that grace is less about this Word and more about an individual. So let's pick up our text in John chapter 1. I'm going to start reading from verse 14. The Bible says this. The Word, that's a Greek word uh, called logos. And it's the word that John in his Gospel uses to describe the Lord Jesus Christ. He says, The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us, and we, the disciples have literally seen His glory with our own eyes, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father full of grace and truth. John, that would be John the baptizer, testified concerning Him. He cried out saying, This is the one I spoke about when I said, He who comes after me has surpassed me because He was before me. In the 16th verse, John goes on to say, Out of His fullness... We have all received grace in the place of grace already given. That means we've received grace so abundantly. It's like giving, a, giving a, a portion of grace to us and then heaping on a second portion of grace. If we had a cup on a saucer, it would the, the cup would be overflowing with grace. And we'd be drinking from our saucer because of this abundant grace God has shown to us. We've received grace in place of grace already given. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God but the one and only Son, who is himself God and is in closest relationship with the Father, has made him known. At this moment in Scripture, the most profound act in all of history occurs, and the Son of God comes to this earth incarnate. He takes upon flesh. And makes his dwelling among the creation. The creator comes to earth, abandoning the heavenly realm, and makes his dwelling place among men. When we read this text in John's gospel, that language should point us back into the Old Testament and teach us the first thing that the incarnation reveals about God, and the incarnation reveals God's glory. That's the first thing the incarnation does. In the book of Exodus, some of the language John uses here reminds us that Moses was a guy who wanted to see God's glory. Moses had a very intimate relationship with God. Moses was the deliverer of his people, a man chosen by God for that purpose. And there's a moment in time where where Moses says in Exodus chapter 33 and verse 18, God, show me your glory. And God says, look, Moses, no one can look upon me face to face and live. But because of all that we've been through together, I'm going to pass by you. I'm going to put you in a rock. I'm going to pass by you. And you're going to be able to look and see the backside of me. And you'll be able to see my glory. And after Moses had seen God's glory and comes back down from the mountain, his face was glowing. The glory of God is powerful, and it's majestic, and it's profound. But outside of Moses seeing the glory of God, no person on earth could see it. And so what God does in the Old Testament to keep the presence of His glory by His people, to reveal His glory to all His people, God makes the dwelling place of His glory the tabernacle. And when when John says, The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us, It's the same Greek rendering that that we might use to say the word, the Lord Jesus Christ became flesh and tabernacled among us. In other words, in the same way the glory of God manifested itself as a presence over the tabernacle, the presence of Jesus Christ in the earth manifests God's glorious presence in the world. In other words, it's God telling each of you, I want you to be able to see my glory. I want a relationship with you. I want to know you and I want you to know me. And in all your wanderings in life, in all the paths you take, in all the trials you face, I want you to be able to look upon the face of Jesus Christ and know that my glory is here and it's for you. That's how uh, the, the book of Exodus actually concludes. I want to read you a few verses from Exodus chapter 40. The cloud, the presence of God, covered the tent of meeting, the tabernacle, and the glory of the Lord Filled the tabernacle. Moses couldn't even enter the tent of meeting. Because the cloud had settled on it. And the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. In all the travels of the Israelites. Whenever the cloud lifted from above the tabernacle. They would set out. But if the cloud did not lift. They didn't set out. Until the day the cloud lifted. So the cloud of the Lord. Was over the tabernacle by day. And fire was in the cloud by night. In the sight of all the Israelites. During all their travels. Jesus is your beacon for God's glory. The incarnation reveals the glory of God. But the incarnation doesn't just reveal the glory of God. It also remits the grace of God. The incarnation reveals God's glory and it remits God's grace. Let me give you two verses for that. The first verse I want to read to you is John chapter 3 and verse 16. You're going to know this. And in John chapter 3 and verse 16, the depth... Of the grace of God is remitted. God's grace for you is deep. You know the verse. For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son. That whosoever would believe in Him would not perish but have eternal life. Uh, Those of you that know me know that I like to eat. Can I get an amen from some of my friends out there? All right. So when I met my beautiful bride... Uh, 12 years ago when I met my beautiful bride 12 years ago and knew that I had to have her hand uh, I decided I would buy her a really nice ring and I would spend as much money as I possibly could on our honeymoon now I was uh, at the time 21 and had no money zero money but the little money I did have went to purchase food for myself all right? So essential to my essence was food, all right? This was something that I would spend money on. I'd be eating a lot. I'd be trying to put on weight, feeling like the bigger I got, the cooler I would be. And it was a big deal to me at the time, and in some ways, probably, it still is. So this was the plan. I would live off 10% of my income and spend 90% on paying for the ring and paying for the honeymoon. That was the plan. And so for almost nine months kid you not, I lived off cheese and crackers from Walmart for nine months. So I'd get up, I'd eat, the, I lived with my parents at the time. I would eat the food that my parents had in their fridge in the morning. And I promise you I'd be as much as I could. And then when it was time to go for lunch, I'd eat cheese and crackers that I purchased from Walmart. And it was time for dinner. I'd eat cheese and crackers that I purchased for dinner. And I lived like that for nine months. It was the best Gift I could give my bride to sacrifice something that was essential to my essence, and that probably sounds silly to you to say food. And in a way, I am trying to make a joke of it. But this is when, when we read John three sixteen. That's how deep the Father's love is for us. He gives something that is just essential to Himself when He sends His Son Jesus Christ to the earth to make His dwelling with us to become flesh. And the Creator live amongst the created, and not only does that reveal God's depth of grace for each of us, it also reveals the the width or the breadth of God's grace. Uh, John in in the first epistle that he wrote, First John chapter two and verse two. I, I want to read this to you. The Bible says this, and he is the he is the atoning sacrifice. For our sins, and not just for our sins, but also for the sins of the whole world. I don't have that on screen, but you, you need to write down if you're taking notes. 1 John chapter 2 and verse 2. In, in, in the incarnation, by giving us of His Son, the depth of the grace of God is revealed. It's as profound a gift as He could give to us. But in the application of that grace for the whole world, we realize the breadth of that love. How wide the Father's love is for us. Yes, it's, it's profoundly deep that God gave the best He could give, but it's wide. In other words, it's, for, it's intended for everyone. It's intended for everyone. John would say, it, His atoning sacrifice was not just for my sin, me, someone who was saved. It, it's, it's intended to be the atoning sacrifice for the whole world. What does that mean for you? What that means is that grace is the key to your freedom. Grace is the key to your freedom. Here's what we want to do in life. We want to assume that because we've given up on ourselves, grace has given up on us. And grace will never give up on you. We want to assume that because others have given up on us, that grace will also give up on us. And grace never forgives up on you. Grace is constantly saying, it's for you. It's for you. It's for you. This is intended for you. And so whatever we face in life, we have to understand that it's grace, the grace of God, that God intends to motivate us to push forward and in the language of, first, of, of John chapter 1, not only is God's grace for forgiveness, God's grace is intended for our favor. Not just forgiveness, but also for favor. Let me go back to John chapter 1. In verse 16, John the Revelator, as he's writing, says, Out of Jesus' fullness, we have all received grace in place of grace already given. That word fullness right there, if you've got a pen, you can underline it. That word fullness is is a theme in John's gospel. And what John's trying to communicate to us is that when Jesus came to the earth, yes, he came to cleanse the world of sin. And that cleansing, atoning sacrifice was not just for our sin, those of us who are saved, but it was also intended to save the entire world. And not just save us but to show favor upon us, uh, to give us fullness. In John chapter 10, verse 10, a very similar word describes the um, battle kind of between Satan and Jesus like this. The thief, that would be Satan, comes not but for to steal, kill, and to destroy. That's the opposite of fullness. That's the opposite of abundance. Some of you will know this reference. But Jesus says, I have come so that you can have life, And have life that is full. Have life that is abundant. Have life that because of grace is lacking nothing. And and because of grace is overflowing with everything. With every important thing. Yes, grace forgives you, but it also favors you. And And grace is what motivates us in life to continue to keep going. This is, a, this is an appropriate message for Veterans Day uh, because we just acknowledged those men and those women who served our country and paid the price of freedom and favor, of the freedom and favor we experience here in the United States. And in the same way our military heroes, our war veterans paid the price to provide for us freedom and favor right here in the United States... This grace that comes to us by Jesus Christ also cost a price. This kind of freedom is not free. If we go to John's gospel in the 19th chapter, we get a picture of what this grace cost our Lord. The Bible says this. So the soldiers took charge of Jesus. I'm in the the 16th verse here. That last half of the 16th verse. So the soldiers took charge of Jesus. Carrying His own cross, He went out to the place of the skull, which in Aramaic is called Golgotha, and there they crucified Him, and with Him two others, one on each side, and Jesus in the middle. The cost of the grace of God was the crucifixion of His one And only son. Each step Jesus took up that hill. The mountain of the skull. Golgotha and Aramaic. Each step he takes. Is a step that he pays for your freedom. And when we look at the price that was paid for our freedom. What we have to understand is that it's that grace. That allows us to climb any mountain that we come up against in life. Because Jesus climbed the hill of the skull. We can climb any mountain that we come across in life. When we understand the God of grace that loves us, that gave his one and only son for us, not just for our forgiveness, but for our favor, for our abundance, that it applies to everybody. When we understand that, it motivates us to look at the mountain and take the next step because Jesus did. I work with so many families uh, week in and week out. And the main question I'm asked, and they're not using this language, but this is what they're asking me. Trent, how can we make our mountain smaller? This mountain that's in front of me just seems so huge. How can this thing get smaller? And if you can really be thankful for the grace that God's shown us through Jesus Christ His Son, that gratitude compels you to take one more step. And every step you take shrinks your mountain. Every step you take gets you one step closer to the mountaintop. We're really good in, in, in church of, of, of saying things like just give it to God uh, or just, just come to God, um, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and he'll give you rest. Uh, how, how do we do that, though? What's, a, what's actually happening when that process is taking place? I think it's this. I think it's us understanding what God gave us in Jesus Christ, his son. And when we understand the magnitude of that sacrifice we look at our mountain and look at the ground before us and we take our next step. And from there we take our next step and we take our next step and we take our next step. I think the biggest mountains in life are moments where we have to be givers of grace. I think some of the biggest mountains in our lives are moments where we have to be givers of grace. Where someone's offended us or wronged us, or has hurt us, and we have a justifiable reason to stay mad at that individual. And I promise you this, God has a justifiable reason to be mad at you. But there is nothing you can do to outrun the grace and the love of God. And if God's grace and love can never be outrun by any bad or evil or messed up thing that you've done, then the same should be true of other people who are also in your life. There should be nothing someone can do to stop the flow of grace from you to that individual. And there are some situations in your life where you would say, Trent, that's really, really difficult. That's extremely tough to do given this one particular situation. And to that I would say, if you have trouble extending grace, perhaps it's because you've had difficulty receiving truly the grace of God. And that's the other difficult mountain to climb. That's the other very difficult mountain to climb in our lives, is to really receive God's grace. Yeah, it's difficult to extend the grace of God, to let somebody off the hook, to show someone unmerited favor. But what about when you mess up your own self? And you've made a mistake and your inner critic gets activated and starts beating you up. I had, I had somebody say to me recently, you know, Trent, it's a good thing that the inner critic I have in my mind who beats me up emotionally, just mercilessly. It's a good thing that my physical body cannot show the symptoms of the brutality that I'm inflicting on my own self and my own mind. And when we make those kinds of mistakes, it's very hard for us to to be able to receive God's free and deep and wide and abundant grace. There's a a, a man in scripture, I think, that fits that description. And I'm going to go to uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 12. I want to give you a verse here from a man that you're familiar with. If you're familiar with the Bible, this is the Apostle Paul. And Paul had a thorn in the flesh and and he he says that it was given to him. And I think that language kind of alludes to maybe he understands that it was God who gave this to him. But then pretty quickly he says it was a messenger of Satan to buffet me. So I had this thorn, I had this thing in life that was very, very difficult. And I kept asking God and asking God and asking God three different times. Paul distinctly remembers asking God, remove this thorn from my side. And then Paul, in this moment, has to become a recipient of God's grace. And Jesus says to him, Paul, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect. In your weakness. Therefore, I'll boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so Christ's power may rest on me. You know what this means to me, church? And I really want you to get this, because the purpose of this sermon is to be grateful for grace. And this is about God's grace in each of our lives, His motivating, abundant, freely given grace... If what we read here is true in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, then this is also true, that as far as grace is concerned, there's no such thing as a lost cause. As far as God's grace is concerned, listen to me, there is no such thing as a lost cause. It is. George Eliot has a quote that really, I think, helps under helps us understand what, what, what I'm meaning here. George Eliot says puts it like this, it is never too late in life to become what you could have been. In, in, in grace, there's no such thing as a lost cause. There's no such thing as a lost marriage in grace. There's no such thing. There's no such thing as an unhealable, uncurable addiction in grace. There's no such thing as an uncurable mental illness, or there's no such thing as an unreturnable prodigal son or daughter. There's no such thing as an unhealable issue. There is no such thing in the kingdom of God. God's grace in those areas of weakness is made perfect. So therefore, Paul would say, I boast about the things... That I'm weak in, because in my weakness Christ's power rests upon me and through my weakness then I am made strong. There's no such thing as a lost cause in grace. A lady that I read sometimes is named Brene Brown and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to close here in just a minute. And she's studied human beings a lot in moments where they have to receive grace. And if an individual is having difficulty receiving God's grace, she calls that shame. Somebody just feels they are so worthless and so messed up and so much just junk in there that they can't receive God's grace. And so they come up with this really uh, TFD, terrible first draft, about themselves. And I want you to write that down, TFD, terrible first draft. People who struggle with receiving grace have really terrible first drafts about themselves. Let me tell you what I'm I'm meaning here. When you write a paper, the first time you write it, it's never written the way it's going to end up being written when you hand in your final draft. I should know, I tried to write a 100 plus page dissertation and I turned it in to my major professor trying to finish my doctoral degree and I, I think these professors just get—I think this is some sort of a guilty pleasure for these guys—but they use this really bright, really thick red marker. It's not even a pen. It's—it's it's the enemy of all pens. It's like a marker that like bleeds through the pages, so you mark one page and it like bleeds through the next three pages. And so I'm, I hand in this hundred-plus page dissertation. I, the 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 wave of Peace that washed over me when I finished. I sent it to the print store. I picked it up. I'm like, yes. Finally, I'm done. I hand it to my major professor and it's like this individual was having a bad day and took it out on that poor f- first draft. And I get this thing back. and I'm like, feeling as though I don't even have a clue what the English language even is, you know? Let alone how to write a doctoral level dissertation. So that first draft was really terrible. Honestly, it really was. But with the right guidance and correction from major professors and other people that care about me and especially my bride, the the terrible first draft turned into a passing final draft. So in life, when we're struggling with receiving God's grace, this is what I wanted to teach you about this. What's happening is you've come up with a really terrible first draft of who you are in Christ. You've come up with a really terrible first draft and your inner critic is going through your life line by line and taking a red pen that is from the enemy and just marking through that and going, see, you're screwed up here. You messed up here. You're worthless here. Everybody can see you're a phony right here. You're a sinner. You're materialistic. You're addicted. You're a liar. You're a phony. and just beating you up and God's going, look... Don't accept the first draft as the way it really is or it's supposed to be. And that's what grace is all about. Grace takes those red marks on our terrible first drafts and corrects them so that the finished final copy is just as God designed it to be. We're headed into the Thanksgiving season. We're going to go into Christmas you guys, I want you to be practicing gratitude this this holiday season. And the first and most important thing I want you to be grateful for is the grace of this great God that we serve, that is powerfully represented in the incarnation of our Lord Jesus Christ. I'm going to pray to close our service. If you have a need in your life, maybe your inner critic has really produced some really terrible first drafts about you or maybe instead of seeking uh, freedom in grace you've looked for freedom in something else or it's been very difficult for you to climb your mountain you just can't find the strength to take that next step being grateful for grace will solve that and so if you need to if you need to bring that before the lord and pray or if there's anything else that we can pray with you about after i pray please stand and while we sing Bring those needs forward. We'd love to surround you and pray for you. Let's bow. Lord, we love you. Thank you so much, God, for today and for this church that is in a great nation made so by the men and women who have given their all to keep us free and favored. And it's on days like today, God, we're also reminded of your precious one and only son who gave his all so in you we could find freedom and favor as well. God, I ask that anybody who's just bound or been beat up or just needs healing, God, that they would would come forward today and be encouraged by you. It's in Jesus' precious name that I pray. Amen. Please stand while together we sing.